Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Race IndyCar podcast. Jack Benyon here, as usual, alongside JL Hildebrand, but we do have a special guest for this episode, and that is Marcus Eriksson, who has stayed up really late in Denmark to talk to us. So thank you, Marcus. How are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I'm good. You know, I'm, I'm staying up. It's 11 p.m. local time here, and I'm talking to you guys. That's dedication, if something, right? Man, that is dedication. And I've got to say, it's, uh, it's mega to have you back on, and obviously the plan at the end of this season was for you to do a report card on, on JR Hildebrand. But after after <laughs> JR's season was kind of ended a little bit early, we've decided to do something a little bit different and get some uh, Twitter <laughs> Twitter and uh, social media questions for you to answer today. So I don't know if you're really ready for this, Marcus. Are you, are you ready for the, the breadth of questions that you're about to get from the Race IndyCar podcast listeners? Uh, I'm pretty nervous, but I, uh, I'll okay. try, and, try and get through it. Try and get through it. <laughs> Before we do, we've, we're talking to you just after your your trip to Sweden, where you took the the Borg Warner Trophy from winning the Indy Five Hundred and got to to take that to your local town. So just to kick off things here, just tell us a little bit about what that felt like, because obviously you're doing your racing so far away from you know your family and, and your friends in in the states, and and although they can watch on TV, it must have been really nice for you to to take that trophy over and to really share that you know locally with with the people of your your hometown and and, and in Stockholm as well. Yeah, it was it was actually super special. You know, I'm I'm very thankful of uh, you know Borg Warner and IndyCar and IMS and and everyone that sort of made this possible. Uh, to like you said, you know, you race on the other side of the world, and I have a lot of support from Sweden. But uh, to bring this legendary trophy to my home country, and and then you know it was a full schedule, a full week of events and different stuff, and then you know the ending of the whole week was going to my hometown of Kumla and. Uh, they pulled up like this massive yeah, event on the city square. It was a free event, so we didn't really know how much people were going to show up. Uh, but uh, we filled the whole city square, and it was, they said, the estimate was around 8,000 people showed up. So it was, it was pretty special, man. It was, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very happy and, and, and proud of that. And it was, um, yeah, it was very cool to, to see all, you know, all the interest for IndyCar and, and the 500 and, you know how much people actually follow it and it's um yeah that was really really cool awesome well i guess we should kick off with some questions in the indy 500 is the obvious place to start so at motor race addict on twitter uh, that's with a space so it's motor race a space addict asked what is the best thing about being the indy 500 champ there can't just be one thing i suppose but what, what would you pick if it was one thing <laughs> yeah no it's, it's hard to pick one thing for sure but i think uh i think the thing for me is just the fact that you know, I will always be an Indy 500 champ and, you know, that, that sort of, uh, will always be with me. And, and for me, that's, uh, I don't know. I think that's, you know, if I have to pick one thing, it's, it's so many cool things. I mean, seeing your face on that trophy and your name is also, you know, like that's always going to be there. And that's, that's also, you know, it's part of that, but, 
yeah, I've I've got to experience so many amazing things since I won it. But I think that's like the the real big one that's always going to be there. Uh, that's cool. All right, our next one is is from a uh, fellow Swede, Ronnie K. Ronnie eight at Ronnie eighty six. He says, sort of two part question: What will happen to the twenty twenty two car? So the car itself, uh, and will you be able to keep it as a memory? He says thanks for a great season. Watch. Yeah, I think Ronnie should uh, send a message or give a call to Chef and, and sort of say that he could do that. <laughs> you know, I think it's a great idea. <laughs> Unfortunately, I haven't heard any any plans on that. But you know, that uh, you know, it could be a thing of discussion here over Christmas parties coming up here in December at, at Ganassi. So you know, I, I might bring that up and say, hey, people back in Sweden say that this is what's supposed to happen. So. Uh, will it fit in your apartment in India? Uh, it will not, but you know, I'm looking for houses now in India. So you know, I, <laughs> stick it on the roof. Yeah, that, that could work. Get, it's like a know. piece of art. Yeah, just put it where yeah, you want. Perfect. No, but it, it would be cool to do something with it, you know. But uh, I mean, I was racing it all year, so I I kept racing with the same car all, all season. So it's been it's been true a lot, but it's uh, it's a fast one, so. <laughs> There's not many of those uh, Dallara chassis knocking around at the minute, so I imagine uh, Chip won't be keen to see that go out the door because he, he'll struggle to get another one back in again. But uh, Ronnie 86 also, I was hoping JR, JR was going to try and give us some Swedish, but he's but he's he's definitely <laughs> bailed out of this. But uh, <laughs> Ronnie said thank you for a great season to watch, and then afterwards it says Med Van Lig Halsning. Do you know what that means, Marcus? Have I pronounced yeah. that anywhere near correctly? Yeah, with like uh, good uh, best regards. Uh, best best regards. regards. Okay, awesome. Well, Ronnie, thank you very much for that message. I'm sure Marcus appreciates it a lot. We'll go on to at QWQ space TAT space, which is a great at handle uh, if you want to go <laughs> and find them. Uh, the most crazy moment after your Indy 500 win. And what are you most looking forward to for next season? I think to be honest, it's, it's coming back to that uh, when I went to Kumla, my hometown, and and was there with the trophy, and just you know we had this big stage to build up, and just go out there on the stage and just look, and it was just a, uh, you know, the whole city square was filled with people, you know, cold November day in in Sweden, you filled the whole city square, and everyone was there to celebrate me and my victory, and you know, for me that was just so emotional and and special and and then you know in the end of the we were i was up on stage for an hour and i was going through my whole career leading up to you know winning the 500 and had video messages from you know different people from over sweden and even f1 drivers charlie cleric had sent a message and it was it was really really cool and then in the end my whole family came up and um and uh was up there on stage with me so for me that was you know it was so special did it surprise you that you had that type of a reception or do you just not really have any expectation? You know, I, I know I have a lot of support from back home and a lot of people follow me and, you know, support me. And, and but still, you know, man, I, I didn't know, you know, it was going to be 500 people showing up or not even that, or it was going to be more. And even the, the organizers of the event, they were like, yeah, we think it could be anything from 1000 to 10,000 we, we don't know you know we don't know how much people are going to show <laughs> yeah. up and then you know in the end it's like yeah around 8,000 people and then you fill the whole city city square so that was uh that was very cool what is the like can you give us a flavor of what the just like motorsport fandom is like in sweden like is it somewhere that you'd go to like you'd go to visit and you'd think oh yeah these people are into motorsports or 
Is it more niche? Like what's your kind of no, feeling for that? No, like in, in Sweden, uh, like our main sports is, uh, is ice hockey and, and football or soccer or whatever you call yeah. it in, in America. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but we still do have a lot of motorsports uh, interest. Uh, we don't really have a lot of strong uh, national racing. We have like a Porsche Cup. That's probably the strongest series at the moment. And uh, but we have a lot of history, you know, with uh, mostly r- rally drivers and, and some racing drivers as well over the years. Yeah. So there is a good interest for it, but it's still in the country. You know, it's it's not the sort of most covered sport or anything like that. So it's um, so yeah, it's it's still. But I think I think that's been the cool thing as well with my win in the five hundred. It's really been super big in Sweden, and now since I came back home after the season finished i've been you know super busy with media we've been on where i've been on like all the major tv morning shows and evening shows and talk shows and and all the big newspapers and magazines and some features and you know it's been really big and really got great exposure and i think you know hopefully that will bring even more interest and inspire a lot of you know kids and and, and people in sweden to 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 go racing basically I guess crazy, crazy moment is a, an interesting question because uh, I guess before you win the 500, maybe you don't really think about opening the NASDAQ or like hanging out with the Swedish house mafia or just all of these like random things that are not really accessible to normal or like even normal racing drivers don't get to do some of these things. And then you're like doing an opening pitch for the Yankees or something like it's, a, it's that, that must've been a surprise to, to, to have all that happen, you know, in the, in the aftermath of the win, like it's not just winning the race. It's all the stuff that comes with it. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to pick one, you know, all those things that you, you mentioned and, and, many more as well you know it's been it's been so cool to to experience that and, and get the chance to do all those things and you know in the car and and everyone part of it really does take you know they really makes it so memorable for you to be a champion and, and you know get you to do so many things and, and i've been trying to just uh, enjoy and be a good ambassador for the sport and, and for the series and, and for the 500. Right on. All right. Next fan question from Seb Varden, Varden at Seb Varden. Uh, no question, but I'd like to say thanks. Knowing Ganassi were quick at Indy, I had a little bet. And as a Sauber fan, Sauber fan, I went with Marcus. So good. There you go. I, I, don't, I, I feel like every, every, every time I get one of these kinds of comments from somebody, I'm like, all right, so are you telling me this? Cause you're going to give me a cut or are you <laughs> just, just wanting to like, give me a shout out. All right. <laughs> I, I had a lot of friends back home that was batting on me uh, for the 500, and they they made some good money actually. So that was uh, yeah, I bet good good on that. Oh, I, uh, yeah, I wish you had a cut going your way, Marcus. That would be that would be nice. <laughs> uh, Nano, so that's at Formula A N A N O as their handle. Wanted to know how did you feel as you crossed the line to win the 500. I, I guess there's two kind of aspects of this with drivers because. Some people cross the line to win a race and it's just like, it, it doesn't really sink in immediately. And there's not like a fairy tale, like, uh, you know, moment where you're sat in the car and you go across the line and then like, like the, the end of a movie or something, you know, like uh, nothing really happens. And then some people like uh, we saw George Russell win in, in Brazil uh, last weekend and and he said that he basically you know, burst immediately into tears after, you know, winning his first Formula One race. So where, where were you on that spectrum? What, what, you know, what did you feel as you crossed the line? So I pretty much exploded, uh, and <laughs> and uh, I was just I was just screaming for the whole in lap, you know, like and not screaming things, just screaming like ah, just like constant 
sound and it completely <laughs> blew my voice. So like the rest of the, you know, the rest of the day and the rest of the media tour, I had no voice because I did screaming for like two minutes. I gotta say, when we talked to you the next, the, like the next day, you still were exactly. super <laughs> So I think, yeah, I just completely screamed out my voice for like, yeah, two minutes. Uh, but yeah, it was so many emotions that had to get out or something, you know, it was, uh, so that was sort of what, what happened for me. <laughs> well, we'll move a little bit away from the, the Indy 500 now. Uh, there's a, we've had quite a few questions in about the IndyCar chassis, which is, which is interesting. So, uh, at T cells, seashells, can't believe I said that first time, boom, get in. And at Frederick B underscore SWE, uh, they <laughs> both kind of ask, um, do you, you know, do you think there should be a new chassis coming with the the engine? I guess as a bit of context, so that Marcus doesn't have to get too much into this. Obviously, IndyCar is doing its best to to kind of save costs for the team, and you know, obviously, it'd be a big run for Dallara to to suddenly kind of run off like however many chassis they need uh, immediately need to to kind of you know get built, and and obviously, COVID came in and has uh, you know mounted up costs and, and made things quite difficult for IndyCar teams. So I guess the reason why we're not having a new chassis at the same time as the engine comes in is for, for cost purposes, basically. But um, are you a little bit disappointed by that, Marcus? Would you have liked to have seen a, a new chassis come in, or do you kind of are you kind of happier to see you know IndyCar trying to protect those, maybe even you know all the teams, but especially the smaller teams who, who have to you know lay out a big chunk of money to do this kind of thing. I think the way I see it is, of course, in a perfect world, we would have a new chassis coming uh, together with uh, with the engine, and uh, you know that would be great. But like you say, it's uh, it's it's a lot about the cost, and uh, you know at the moment the series is so healthy with so many cars and teams, and you know it's growing every year, and um, you know so I see why they want to delay that a bit, but. Uh, with that said, you know, the chassis we have now is starting to get very old. Uh, it's still a great car, you know, and it produces great racing. It's still super fun to drive. But with, you know, the the aero screen, the, the new, you know, power unit or whatever you want to call it, 24, you know, it, it all adds weight to this car and, and that doesn't make it better, you know. So, we, we you know, I, I hope now for 24, you know, they're talking about the uh, weight-saving uh things to, to to try and improve that and i think that would be that would be a first step to try and you know save some weight on the current car but obviously a new car has to come here sooner rather than later uh, but uh, maybe doing it in two steps is the best to just keep teams you know um yeah af- afloat you know and, and keep all the cars on the grid but uh, yeah in a perfect world i would love to have a new new, new car new new engine and everything because i think that would be great for the series yeah i think i'd I echo the same point of view basically um the next next question is from daniel at the femontero uh what level of control of the upcoming uh ers energy recovery system do you expect to have would you prefer to have an electric push to pass button or an f1 style ers management system yeah i, I don't know i from what i understand you know they, they're still not decided exactly how the system is going to work so uh, I, th- I think you know. I see it two ways. Either you need to do it fully automatic, like F1 pretty much has it, or it has to do it like fully manually, where you as a driver can really make a difference the way you sort of you know use it. Let's say. So I think they have to go like either way there. Like either you go fully on the like automatic side, or you go fully on the manual side, where you really can you know one driver can be better than another on on the way they use their you know uh, electric power or whatever you want to call it. So. Uh, yeah, which I would prefer. I don't know. I, I think it would be cool to have something where you as a driver could make a 
bigger difference, you know. So I, I kind of like that sort of more on the on the manual side kind of thing. But uh, let's see. I think I think both things can work. Like deciding, even even deciding, you think like when you're going to be harvesting and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think something like that could could be cool. You know, um, I, I think you know, again, you know, putting things more in, in drivers' hands would be really really a good thing. Um, you know, just just for drivers to be able to stand out more compared to each other. Um, so yeah, I I think that could be a cool cool way to go if if they were choosing to go that way. Just on a slight tangent to that, Marcus, uh, I know Will Power spoken before about um, liking elements of F1's kind of DRS system in the sense of maybe if um, in IndyCar, if you had to be within a second of the car in front to be able to use the push to pass or or something like that, or or you could you couldn't use it in defence of a car that was a second behind maybe or something like that. What, what, what do you kind of think about? Cause obviously you've used the two series systems. You've used the RS, you've used push to pass. What, what, what do you like about those two systems and, and which one do you think probably works best? No, I, I think the IndyCar system works a lot better than DRS. I think many times in Formula One, what I don't like with the DRS system is that people uh, decide to not attack in places where they should attack because they know they can use DRS later in the lap. And I think the, the current system we have in IndyCar, you can surprise people by using push to pass in in, space, in places you don't expect someone to do it. So that's what I really like with the system where it's in DRS, you know, you know, this straight the DRS is open and if you're faster than someone, it's more safe just to wait to that straight and just press the DRS. And many times, you, you know, if you're faster, you just freeze pass. And for me, that sort of takes away a bit of that wheel-to-wheel action that I think IndyCar is the best in the world on, on having. So I, I prefer the push to pass system over DRS or something similar to that. There's even tracks where, like Saudi Arabia's track, where you see the drivers like literally breaking to be behind entering the like the DRS zone. So you, you've got like drivers trying not to overtake each other, literally, as opposed to trying to overtake each other. So that kind of proves your your point about that. And uh, yeah, I think that's uh, that's an interesting one. We'll move on a little bit to. Oh, go on, Joe. Well, I was just gonna no, I was just gonna add that like watching this weekend's race uh, in Brazil, like how many times guys got super close to being able to make a pass between turn four and like through that kink into the next corner, but just couldn't pull it off. Like if you had more of a push to pass style thing, even if somebody's on, even if somebody, even if the car in front of you was on it on as, as like a defensive mechanism, it would be enough to make that last little gasp. And that would seem like such a more natural, like real racing maneuver um, as opposed to like Jack, like you were saying, I mean, I feel like, every track basically it's some combination of what you guys were both just talking about where you're kind of timing all of this stuff in an unnatural way just to take advantage of where the drs detection point is basically so yeah i think that's i think that's a great point that i think that probably most people don't think about that much i think one of my favorite things in indycar as well is seeing you guys on an outlap using the push to pass like and and if you had like a drs system we obviously wouldn't be able to do that either and like seeing seeing you guys on cold tires on an outlap is just such a, like a joyful thing to be able to watch as a spectator. Like it's so exciting and it's such a like hidden art of IndyCar. And then to add the push to pass into that as well and see who's using it well and who's using that to the best advantage, using it in the right places. And obviously that's something you guys kind of plan before, before races in, in places to to see where you're going to use it on outlaps and stuff. I think that's another really cool element to the, to the whole kind of, uh, 
I don't want to call it overtake aid because it's not, I guess it is, but it's, yeah, it's a, you're getting down a kind of uh, a bit of a rabbit war in there, but we'll move on anyway to, uh, to Formula One, Marcus. We've got at Matthew MLS 88, who's asking, what's your take on F1 adding even more races to the calendar? Is it too much or could we potentially see even more in the future? Do you think? I think it's a bit on the limit now or even too much now. I, I think 20 races is like, is like a good number. I think now I know a lot of people in F1 still, and you know, it's, Yes, for the drivers, it's, it's kind of doable, but it's even hard for them. But for all the mechanics and engineers doing full seasons, you know, it's it's getting to a point now where it's you know it's it's just crazy the, the amount of time they have to spend away from home and and you know on the road. And I think I yeah I'm struggling to see that sustainable. You know, it's uh, it's like when I went to Austin to the F1 race and, and you know saw Alpha and you know I was there in 2018. And now I go back there and it's just a handful of guys still there. You know, it's just so much people that, you know, go into F1, they're there for a couple of years and then they can't do it anymore and they go out and do other things. And I uh, I, I think 20 is a good number for, for the amount of races because I think that would be, it's still a lot of races, right? And, and going to, what, 24 next year or whatever it is, it's just, yeah, that's a, that's a lot. Okay, a follow-up about F1 from uh, at Joel Devin. Uh, would you ever re- do, would you ever consider returning to Formula One? Joel hopes that you wouldn't, but we'll ask you anyway. <laughs> Diehard indie fan, right there. Yeah, I mean, I I I don't like to say like I would never do this, I would never do that. You never know what happens in the future. But I don't have a desire to go back to Formula One. I I love IndyCar. I love where I'm at in my IndyCar career, and you know I I want to stay in IndyCar for ten more 10 plus years you know and, and and make you know try and win more 500s and championships and, and, and races uh so that's sort of my my where my head is at at the moment and, and i don't see that changing in, in 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 the future to be honest this is the indy 500 winner and he's not going back to f1 for anything less than mercedes red bull or ferrari that's it <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> boom hear that Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Marcus will pick back up with I'm Jorge M. Perez with I don't know how IndyCar handles crowds at events, but as an F1 driver, did you ever feel uncomfortable walking in the paddock with the crowds surrounding you? Or does it feel kind of disrespectful to to have so many people in your your kind of personal space all the time? And um, uh, Jorge is asking because he saw some drivers were complaining in Mexico and apparently Pierre Gasly's backpack was even opened by some fans. So... Um, 
I can't confirm whether that did actually happen or not. That's uh, Jorge sending that in. But yeah, did, you know, what do you, how, how do you feel about that? And I guess you're getting that, you know, at, at, at the 500, you're going to get a similar kind of thing where you have a lot of fans around you and stuff. Are you, you know, what, what's your take on that? Yeah, to, to be honest, you know, when I was in F1, it was much more restricted in, in the paddock with, with the amount of people that was there. And in that sense, IndyCar has a lot more people in the paddock. You know, there is, it's, it's always packed in, in, in the paddock area. And, and so, yeah, I, I never felt like there was a problem. I, I know when I went to Austin now, uh, again, Austin for the F1, it was pretty crazy there with the amount of people. Um, so maybe now it's becoming more of a problem. But uh, for me, when I was there, it was never something that I felt was, you know, was, was an issue. All right, so we'll move uh, a little bit away from F1 now and we'll go over to at Chris, Chrissy88, who wants to know what current driver from any series you would like to see join the IndyCar grid or a past driver. So I guess you can have a, I guess the idea is you can have a current driver or a retired driver, I guess in their prime maybe, um, come to IndyCar. Who, who would you choose out of uh, anyone you can think of off the top of your head? I mean, the obvious one is Daniel. You know, I think Daniel would, uh, that would be cool to have him over. I think he would love it. I, I know he's not planning on doing that. Um, but yeah, I think he, he would be a perfect fit for the series. And, and, um, yeah, so that, that would be, be really cool. Um, past, oh, I don't know. That's a hard one. Um, yeah, I, I can't think of one. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Ronnie Peterson in current IndyCar? Like that would. Yeah, be, I was gonna say Ronnie on the oval would have been pretty badass. Yeah, yeah he goes sideways <laughs> all, all the way around the, the speedway. That would be pretty. He cool needs to some see, needs some bias pliers. You yeah, uh, yeah, you couldn't yeah. steal his helmet design then though, so you'd have to uh, come up with a different one. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's very true. <laughs> all right, next one comes from Tyler Johnson, who's at Richard Rich OSU. Uh, what was the biggest mis- misconception that you held about IndyCar before coming over here? And what's the biggest misconception that others still hold about IndyCar, in your opinion? Uh, I think for me, when I came over, one thing I didn't know was how big the 500 was and how special it was. And I think, you know, I I, I sort of thought that it was, you know, people were talking about and it was just like, okay, it's a big race, but it's just like any other, you know, you know, like a Monza race or a Monaco or something like that. But when I came here and experienced it the first time, I was like blown away completely. And it's just so unique in, in my opinion and uh, so special in, in so many ways. So I think that was something that I didn't really uh, understand before I actually went here and experienced it. And I think people still in Europe don't understand how, how big the 500 is and how cool it is and how unique it is. Uh, the whole month of May, you know, it's, it's just such a cool thing to be part of. And, and even for people coming, you know, I, I have people coming over watching and, 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 you know, everyone is just like, Oh my God, this is the coolest thing ever. So I think, uh, I think race fans in Europe, if they get the chance, they should definitely take, uh, take the opportunity to go and watch the 500 and, and just experience it because it's just like, unlike anything else in the, in the racing world. I feel, I feel like it must be for people, for folks coming from out of the US, it's like such a distinctly American thing too, right? Like on Memorial Day weekend and all of the other stuff that's going on, like that probably hits even differently when you're not, you know, when you're not like around that type of thing ever. Yeah, 100%. It is. And, and you know, I like I said, I had no idea how, 
how 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 cool it was and how special it is. You know, it's uh, you really have to experience it to to understand it. I think being from from Europe, uh, especially. Well, luckily, you know how special it is now because you've won it, which is yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. Which do, like, <laughs> do you still pinch yourself when people say that out loud that you won the five hundred, or are you are you actually like comfortable with it now? Because I'm like, I'm still I still say like Marcus Ericsson Indy five hundred winner out loud, and it's like obviously it's you know you. You, you earned that win and it was a phenomenal drive, but it's just so like, I still think about you as Marcus Ericsson, like Formula One driver in some like ways in my head when I'm thinking about, you know, speaking to you and stuff. And, you know, now you're an Indy 500 winner. Like, is it, does it like, is it still weird to hear that said out loud? I mean, it's starting to become more, I think normal is not a correct word, but yeah, I, I started to get <laughs> used to it. Uh, I think for me, the, the thing that really made it real was uh, in Indian athletes a couple of weeks ago when we unveiled my face on the trophy and my name on the trophy. For me, that was such a, like, a strong moment where it's like, okay, this is, you know, this is happening. <laughs> this, this, this is real, you know? So for me, that was a really like special moment just, you know, when I saw that the first time. Do you think you look better on the trophy or in real life? Uh, I mean, I, I like to think real life, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> I, 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 give it a few years. Yeah, exactly. Give it a few more years. <laughs> Will Barons, there, the, the artist, did a good job. So you can see it's me. So that's uh, uh, that was. Uh, yeah, I think he did a really good job. Don't ever accuse the race IndyCar podcast of not asking the true difficult uh, difficult questions that we really everyone really wants to know the answer to we, we, we have to get those questions in we'll move on to jacob behrman uh, at uni lost underscore jacob who wants to know from a purely driving standpoint which track on the calendar is the most enjoyable for you and why yeah that one is hard i think you know again coming back the speedway is just so unique in, in the way it is and, and you know he's driving on on, on the indianapolis most speedway it's just with all the history and, and I don't know, it's just hard not to say that one, but I think we, we have to sort of put that in its own category in a way. So if we don't think about Indianapolis Motor Speedway, I think I would say Road America. I think Road America is, is the nicest track on the calendar. And I do think it's going to be even better when it's repaved now for, for this year. I'm hoping at least. I think it's going to be a lot of grip in this new asphalt and then it will be even more awesome. Good choice, Dale. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, yeah, I, well, you were you were yeah you were in the in the car a few years ago with the with the Aero Kit cars still. Right? No, 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 you didn't. No, I came off. Okay, I came off. So you, yeah, because it was like it was like just flat for one lap through the carousel in qualifying. Oh, really? That was like badass, though. Yeah. <laughs> so you'll get maybe maybe with the with the fresh pave, you'll get a feel for it. Yeah, that would be cool. That would be very cool. We'll let Jacob have a sneaky second second question in because he also popped in his tweet. Uh, do you like having much stay in your livery? I know your your helmet design for the five hundred every year is a big thing for you and something you work on, you know, for a long time. But you know, do you like having a say in, in the livery of the car you drive? Is that something you you try to do or? Uh, not really, to be honest. I mean, I've had the same livery now for three years, the Husky Chocolate car, and I think it's still you know one of the. I mean, I'm biased, but I think it's the best looking car on the grid. But I think, you know, it, it really stands out and it really sort of pops on TV and, and stands out. So I, I think that liver is really cool. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I haven't really, I wasn't involved in how that turned out. And I haven't really, I think I've never really been involved in, in how the livery of a car of my car is, to be honest. I, I, yeah, I sort of take charge of the helmet and then 
do that. But uh, the liveries, I don't really have much say there at all, to be honest. Well, we'll give you some props for good looking helmets over the years, for <laughs> sure. Um, okay, this one comes from at Nihon, Nihon, Tiger LP. Um, what do you think IndyCar as a series can do to reach out to people that aren't currently watching or maybe even aware of it? I think that's the big one that we, we need to figure out as a series because I think the racing product that we have at the moment is, for me, it's the best racing product in the world. I think the racing is amazing. It's uh, so many good drivers, good teams. You know, we go to different tracks. I think, you know, the series is so great and I, I feel like everyone that sort of discovers it and, and start watching it, they love it because it's yeah it's so good to, to, to watch. So. I think we need to figure out, you know, how, how to, to get more people to discover the series. Um, obviously, F1 did the Drive to Survive, which was a huge, huge, huge success for them. Um, could we do the same? Yeah. Would that be the same effect? I'm not sure because it's sort of now every sport seems to try and do that. And, and it's sort of, I think F1 was in, in many ways sort of the, the first doing that kind of documentary feeling that they did so I, i'm not sure like copying that is is the golden ticket for indycar but as, as as anything you know we we need to get out there i think social media in general we need to get the, even stronger there to, to really push it out because that's where we we can find i think new fans um build the characters show more that the drivers be sort of who, who we are you know outside of the race cars as well i think that's also a way to sort of connect more to the fans and then to people that, you know, to, to draw them into the sport. So I think uh, it's not an easy answer. Uh, I think, you know, IndyCar has been working for, for years to try and answer that uh, question and, and they still are. But uh, yeah, I, I really hope we can find a way to, to, to reach out to, to a broader audience. Thomas C at Donzon underscore T asks with last year's success at Texas and obviously Indianapolis, would you want more super speedway ovals on the calendar? And uh, Thomas has listed some examples like Pocono, Michigan, Auto Club, Las Vegas. So is that a kind of track you feel, you know, really at home now and you'd like to see a few more of those on the calendar? Yeah, I think general in general ovals, I think we need at least one more oval on the calendar because I think you know, Ovos is a big part of IndyCar racing, and I think it's it adds a lot to the series. So I think for sure one more oval, um, super speedway or short oval, I, I don't really mind. I think both are really fun. Um, but yeah, I, I think at least one more oval. I, I haven't really driven on those tracks yet listed apart from Pocono. Um, and I think Pocono was cool, um, like a fun track to drive. Um but, uh, yeah, I, I definitely think that we should, uh, and I know, I mean, that's the talk as well. When you, you know, when IndyCar is talking, it sounds like they're trying to add an oval here in the near future. So I think, you know, uh, I think and hope that's going to happen. And I think that would be great. Okay. We got a, maybe the toughest question so far from Jaden, who's at the racing room. He wants to know what your favorite pizza topping is. Oof. Uh, so this is a weird one, which you can't get in the states actually so what we have in sweden we have something called kebab pizza so it's like doner doner meat like it is like a margarita with doner meat and like lettuce uh, cucumbers tomatoes uh, corn 
and then you have like sauce like mild sauce on top of it and like it's it's quite messy but it's uh, it's really good does it have cheese i mean it, not no not on top of that it's, it's like a, i mean it's cheese in the bottom because it's a margarita like underneath okay it, kind of okay thing. okay got it got it got it so it's um okay like tomato sauce cheese and then you put all these things on top of it but like they are you know the meat is hot but then the all the lettuce and salad let's say it's, it's cold it sounds a bit funky but yeah all the swedes that listen to this I they, can, they I get a dig on this yeah, yeah all this all the swedes that listen to it they know exactly what i'm talking about and if anyone ever goes <laughs> to sweden they need to have a kebab pizza because it's it's the best okay when i when i manage my when i manage my team in the future uh, I'll, I'll happily have you come and drive me, Marcus, but it's going in the contract that you're not allowed to eat a kebab pizza during, during, <laughs> re- during the racing season. It's like b- between the months of February and, <laughs> and, and August, there's no kebab pizza eating at all allowed. <laughs> all right, so we'll finish with Corey, at Corey, 655-11899, catchy. Have you got any advice for someone just starting their racing career, Marcus? Uh, I would say, you know, like a lot of us, we're starting go-karts and, and that's the way, best way to learn racing, uh, learn racecraft, uh, you know, wheel-to-wheel battles. And it's, you know, the most, you know, it's still expensive with go-karts. I, I, I know that. And, and it, you know, you need a lot of commitment from, from people to help you with that, but it's definitely the way to start. And, you know, if you have that setup that you can go go-karting it's just doing laps doing races uh, that's what i did when i was a kid you know i was lucky enough to have my dad and you know really digging into it and, and driving around his his house painters we would load up his uh, his painting van with my go-kart in the weekends and go around sweden and go racing you know and that's how i how i learned everything pretty much so that's uh, that's the way to do it if you want to be a racing driver there you go. Get yourself into a go-kart and get racing and you'll soon be an Indy 500 winner. There might be some stuff that happens in between <laughs> those two things, but uh, I think the underpinning factor there is hard work. So we know Marcus has done a lot of that, uh, including staying up till almost midnight to record this podcast with us. So uh, if I'd have known that at the start, I would have apologised, Marcus, but uh, thank you for saving some time for us and uh, joining us on this episode. It's been really fun. Always, always, guys. It's been it's been, it's been always a pleasure <laughs> talking to you and, and answering a lot of fun questions. So it's uh, it's cool. It's good stuff. You should you should say it's always a pleasure speaking to us as long as we put you in the top ten of our rankings. That's yeah, when exactly. It's a pleasure. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I just I'll always I'll just always be thankful to Marcus that he didn't wear his nasty milk strewn. Uh, <laughs> race suit in our little podcast <laughs> for the day after day because i saw you walking around it and i was like oh man i'm a little hungover i really don't need that in my life right now in this little room. yeah so, no that is uh forever that grateful that is a good good forever point grateful. that one was nasty but loved it still on that note of off milk marcus erickson <laughs> thanks for joining us and we'll speak to you very very soon have a great off season thanks guys have a good one yeah hi producer johnny here Interrupting the show momentarily to tell you about Roan, a clothes brand we think you'd like. I don't know about you, but finding clothes you like can be tough. Sizes can vary from brand to brand, and fabrics can be poor quality or uncomfortable. We all know a good outfit can impact your confidence and help you feel your best, and that's where Roan comes in. Their range of stylish, functional, business casual menswear helps you look good without having to think about it. It's versatile, high quality and durable, and works in a range of social and professional settings. 
Roan's commuter collection includes products for every occasion, including the world's most comfortable pants, dress shirts, quarter zips, polos and blazers. It also features, and get this, wrinkle release technology and gold fusion anti-odor technology for more wears between washes, so you'll be fresh and clean all day long. Roan were kind enough to send me a shirt and some pants from the commuter collection, and I can tell they're going to be part of my wardrobe for a long time to come. The commuter collection could get you through any workday and straight into whatever comes next. Head to roan.com forward slash race and use promo code race to save 20% off your entire order. That's 20% off your entire order when you head to rhone.com forward slash race and use code race. It's time to find your corner office comfort. Well, welcome back. That was Marcus Erickson answering your questions. So thank you for those of you who did send questions in. I'm sorry if we didn't get to all of them or if people sent in multiple questions. We tried to be fair and spread that around everyone. I'm sure we'll have Marcus back on uh, very early next season, maybe even before the season starts to chat about what he expects his season to look like next year. I'm sure that'll be trying to put together another title charge. JR Hildebrand's still here with me. JR, what's your favorite pizza topping? Oh, man. Well, see, I feel like Marcus cheated a little bit because he just told us what his complete favorite pizza was. That wasn't really like... Yeah, a, that's true, you know. I was I was interested. This, it was such a bizarre, uh, you know, sort of answer that I wanted to hear the whole thing before giving many flack about not just picking one. But I mean, I, but I, I would have the same problem, like single pizza topping. It's odd, isn't it? I don't know. Like, I think I, I'm I'm kind of a minimalist. So if I only get one topping, I might just be like, get some basil on that thing. It'll definitely make it make it better. But but yeah, I I just can't stop thinking about going and trying to find myself a kebab pizza now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we're not gonna get too where, far. Where into. are you at? Where are you at on the pizza topping? Yeah, I think it's just a it's just gonna be a, a salami uh, of some description or a pepperoni. Yeah, like sure. Some pepperoni, some sort yeah. of boring like uh cured cured meat. When he when he started being like, uh, you know, you're gonna think this is weird, like whatever, I'm like, don't say like don't don't say like pickles or something. Like, you know, there's gotta be some kind of I don't know. I thought it was gonna be pickled fish. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like some kind of I thought it was gonna be something on yeah. 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 And it'd have some unpronounceable name that we wouldn't be able to say. Yeah. Um but then, but then saying that, uh, I'm sure there's a lot of herbs, including one that you've mentioned already that we would pronounce very differently between us. That's probably true. <laughs> there's, uh, there's basil and oregano and... Oregano, uh, what? Yeah, I know. And what, what else do you have? Uh, you have cilantro and we yeah. have coriander. Cilantro, right? so, coriander, cumin. Yeah, cumin's, cumin's good. Anyway, I feel like we've got a bit off topic here and we should probably answer some some of our, some of our loyal <laughs> listeners. I'm going to have to go to the pantry here soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> you might be able to do it in between questions. Uh, we'll we'll go with um, Motor Race Addict uh, first. That's uh, at Motor Race underscore Addict, uh, who always sends in questions whenever we do a listener's uh, special episode. So thank you very much for that. Um, there's a lot of in-season testing in IndyCar outside of the 500. Um which I don't agree with personally, but we'll, yeah. we'll come to that in a minute. Uh, is it required? Um, and if yes, why not restrict it to reserve or Indian X drivers only? And how much of an advantage does it give you when racing at a track you've tested at? Let's start with that element, JR, because that's that's quite a simple um, and straightforward thing. How much of an advantage does it give you when racing at a track you've tested at? We've seen, I, I guess over the past couple of years, 
because there's not very much testing, which is in contrast to the question, obviously, we've seen teams strategically kind of pick where they're going to go and test. And uh, we've seen some teams go and test in unrepresentative conditions and then turn up at a place they've tested at where theoretically they should be great because they've tested there. And actually, in actual fact, they're miles off because their their experience was in different conditions. And I guess that's an example of how condition-specific IndyCar form is um, when we actually get to the track. But for, for you as a driver, how much of an advantage would you feel, you know, given, given you know, having a test at a track would, would give you for that specific circuit? Yeah, I think that generally speaking, it's definitely an advantage. And I think the data sort of supports that, like looking at the, te- you know, the second half of this past year, looking at teams that tested places that they ended up going to, whether that was Iowa, um, you know, uh, Portland, Laguna, that seemed generally it maybe and you know we saw like at Laguna it didn't necessarily translate for all of the Ganassi cars let's say that 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 the test was you know super helpful for their overall pace but like Alex ended up just stomping on everybody so you got to kind of figure that that was notable in terms of what was going on you saw Penske who tested at Portland felt like that was definitely like they they basically showed up expecting to be really good there as did the other cars that tested there. Um, so I, I think there's, there's kind of two reasons that you go test at a particular track generally, because there's, yeah, I don't, I don't know what would, I, I'm interested to kind of, I would be interested to be able to ask our, our listener, like what makes them think that there's a lot of in-season testing. Um, but if, for the, the testing that's available per entry or per team, there's really not. So uh, each, you know, while you definitely see different teams testing kind of throughout the year, they're having to be very selective about where they fit those test days in. Um, You basically go to test for one of two reasons. Typically, one is to really solidify that you are a genuine competitor somewhere that you think that you're already kind of in the window, but you need to like check some boxes. Um, So I've definitely had that experience. Like when I was at ECR, we tested at Iowa, even though we we were the race winning organization from the previous year there, and I had and I had done the test for that car for the previous year, um, and and that's an example like like I thought that we were kind of burning a test day doing that because it's like well look like our stuff was really good I drove it so I know exactly what it feels like even though I wasn't in the race, um, but we ended up showing up and we kind of needed the test day to be as good because the tire had changed a little bit and that totally changed the kind of complexion of how the car was generating, you know, vertical grip basically because the sidewall construction had changed a little bit and we ended up spending the whole test day working on figuring that out. So it required the test day to get from, I think if we'd have just shown up there, we would have been sort of maybe fifth to 10th. And instead we were back in like genuine, you know, in contention for the win and podium. Um, the other reason that you go testing typically is that you really feel like you've got a weak spot on the schedule and the only way to get into the conversation at those tracks, um, is to go do a test day. So, um, I think because of the fact that there's kind of those two different ends of the spectrum, you don't always necessarily see the teams that test be like competing for wins. Cause sometimes you might be making gains, but they're just, they're just really like dragging you out of the mud and kind of getting you into the, into the picture you know, Jack, to your point, there are definitely times where you can get totally caught out by conditions. And that's um, something that I guess I I feel like we see 
a little less frequently than than the other way around that you'll see a team go test and be pretty good at that place yeah. or at least better than they had been but um it, it it you know there are the occasional test days that end up being confusing and sometimes sometimes that happens on like the you know the the full field tests even you know that if you've got that's that's usually where you see the most mixed bag is like when you go test at barber but it's early in the year and it's like 60 degrees so the track is mega fast you know you will occasionally see just a complete reorder of who's fast when you show up at the actual event weekend because you know it's usually 75 or 80 and you know the track temps up 50 to 40 degrees or whatever so that's uh that can happen i i guess i'll just jump into the other part of this question uh, which is a, or a little bit of a, in a roundabout way, um, just the idea of having reserve or indie next drivers um, as you know plugged into the testing. It's not a requirement that you show up for any of these test days. Basically, I don't. I don't think you. I think you could show it. You could show up to zero test days and still. I don't think any one of them uh, or any of them in particular are required. Um, that being said, there used to be a deal and this they, it was like this for a long time. I don't think it's like this anymore to my knowledge, but um, basically if you put an it at the time it was Indy Light, so an Indy Next driver in the car for I think I think when I was in Indy Lights, it was like whatever for every it was, it was some kind of math that was involved in it, but it was like for every half day that you put an Indy Lights driver in the car, you got a full day of testing for the regular guy or it was the other way around or something like that. But um, it ended up, uh, you know, as an Indy Lights driver at the time with Andretti Green, um, it, that was enough of an incentive for me to end up with a few test days when I was racing Indy Lights kind of during my championship year that I, I, would, I, would, I would imagine I was not going to get those days if they weren't, if the team wasn't kind of getting something out of it. I mean, they were just days the team paid for me to show up and drive. So, you know, there's a little bit of kind of auditioning or whatever that goes on with that. But, um, you know, that was, that was something that I would like to see return is just there be, you know, being some incentive for teams to test drivers that are not active full-time IndyCar drivers. Um, because, because testing otherwise is so restricted and it's expensive, expensive to go do, you have to have like a pretty substantial incentive for young guys to get in the car. Yeah, going back to um, you know the kind of ins and outs of of testing, I think Ray Hall is a really good example of what you were talking about as well. In the sense that they, you know, had a problem with their dampers, they thought we've got a test day we can use. We'll go to Sebring, which is the most bumpiest place in the history of the world, and hopefully, if we come out of a day there having trialed every damper we could possibly get our hands on, we'll probably have a better, you know, overall feeling of where dampers are at you know, for the, for every track. So that's a, an example of how general testing can help teams kind of move forward in a, in a general sense. And I, I think I was just going to add quickly that, um, you know, a big part of, or, or, you know, maybe not, maybe this is like, I'm overselling this a little bit, but definitely a part of the on-track testing now is also just correlating between what you're finding on the simulator. And you know, you've got this sort of tripod of of components where uh, or you've got the engineering team that has uh you know a simulation that does not have the driver in the loop so doesn't like factor in the actual driver that they're just running running simulation to try to figure out what they think the best combination of you know components and adjustments is going to be 
for an upcoming track. Then you've got the what what the what we refer to as the DIL, so driver in loop. Um, you know, physical simulator is what people think of when you see racing simulators. So Honda, HPD, and Chevrolet um, now at the you know uh, GM Tech Center, I guess it's called in in Charlotte. Both have facilities where drivers actually in the car, so you're using that to kind of put the driver in the simulation basically to kind of understand what the dynamics and if there are things that are different that you didn't expect or, you know, that maybe the driver has certain preferences or whatever. The third part of that, you know, tripod is the actual on track experience that you have, you know, did you've done all the simulation, how accurate was any of that simulation? So you're kind of the best case scenario for the teams is they can do enough testing that, there's a core component of the on-track testing that is literally just working on validation of the simulation components because you can do way more simulation than you can on-track testing. So if you can develop the simulation components to be better, then you can and and feel confident that you can lean on that more heavily, then that you know has a potentially significant benefit to the team overall everywhere that you go. But um, that's just a little a little extra tidbit there in terms of part of the dynamics of going on track testing these days. Yeah, there's there's teams that have won races in IndyCar this year that turned up to the weekend with a setup that they designed in a sim and just, you know, having not really tested it and won, won a race with it. So I guess that is another element to the whole testing scenario is that the the simulators are becoming much more important in IndyCar. They're becoming more accurate every single year. The the manufacturers are putting more and more money into those simulators to to get them up to speed. So that's an interesting part of testing as well. I'll just run through the testing regs just quickly for Motor Race Addict, just so you know what to look for next season. So basically each team will get two test days, uh, but you have to use one or lose it by March 24th. Uh, the rookies need to complete an oval test to race at Texas. Uh, so that's one of your days gone. Um, and then there's the rookie orientation for the Indy 500, which is like a group test. There's the pre-season test at the Thermal Club, which will happen in February. Uh, and then there'll be an end of season test um, at Laguna Seca a few days before the season finale where the teams can all you know freely test there. And then each team has two evaluation days, which is where we've seen recently drivers come from outside of IndyCar to come in and test. Uh, so as an example, we saw Formula E driver Jake Dennis test for Andretti. And I'm pretty sure the only reason that happened was that Andretti wanted to do some testing and Jake was someone who hadn't raced an IndyCar before. So they were able to utilize that day as an evaluation day. Um, even though Jake's not really in the running for an IndyCar seat anytime in the immediate future anyway. So we'll move on to at King Hero Fan, uh, a very interactive person with a pod. We uh, like all your tweets and uh, I'm glad that I'm glad to say that at King Hero Fan also does read some of my features on the race. It's glad to know someone does. It really is. It means a lot to me. Uh, many current drivers are pleading for IndyCar to invest more marketing dollars into the series. Uh, do you think IndyCar promotes the Indy 500 to the detriment of the other 16 races on the calendar, or is it necessary to market the one marquee event to fund the rest of the season? I think my take on this is, I think that's quite, that is quite a, I know you're trying to fit this into a tweet, so I'm not criticizing your tweet in any way, shape or form, but it is quite a general kind of, overview of how like what are you included in terms of promotion there are we talk like what are we actually talking about in terms of promotion obviously the in the in the indiana indiana indianapolis region obviously indycar does push the 500 quite hard um and it is basically part of the fabric there isn't it um some would argue that you could advertise that one less because you know you know certain people are going to renew their tickets every year and that you know all that kind of stuff but um i, I don't think they 
it doesn't feel like they make a concerted effort to focus on the 500 against not focusing all the other all all on all the other races. Obviously, all the other races are responsible for their own marketing to a certain extent. So, IndyCar can't really do all the marketing for every single event. It you know it it's obviously restricted in a in a certain extent. I think the bigger question is how do you promote IndyCar as a whole, um, and and what are you trying to achieve by it? Are you trying to bring fans in from NASCAR? Are you trying to increase the American fan base? Are you trying to increase the North American fan base? Are you trying to increase the world fan base? Um, are you trying to make people respect IndyCar for the level of competition or you're trying to bring more businesses into IndyCar? It's a really difficult question to answer. And I thought Marcus did a good job of doing that quite quickly in in the question that he was answered earlier in the pod and talked about whether, whether IndyCar should have a Netflix documentary, for example, that would you know do a, a similar job, hopefully, to the F1 documentary. But as he rightly pointed out, there's no golden ticket of you do a documentary and then suddenly everyone in the world is watching IndyCar. So it's a, it's a general problem that I guess it, it comes back to what IndyCar does, but it also, a lot of it is dependent on what the rest of the motor industry is doing. There's so many different factors that impact how a series is promoted and how popular it is with, with people. So it's a really difficult question to answer. And I think the, that's the question, you know, the key question IndyCar's, you know, trying to answer now and they're, they're they are investing more money into marketing than they have done before you know, it's not going to be something that overnight is suddenly fixed and, you know, everything's fine and dandy again. There's, you know, there's every championship has long-standing problems that it has to fix. And it's, you know, it's in the process of looking at those and, and trying to fix them. Um, you know, the answer is is not a particularly easy one. Joe, have you got any specific thoughts about this in in any way that you could add to this? No, I think I would echo the general sentiment that I think it's, it's more complicated than just marketing. Right. Um, and marketing even is more complicated than marketing used to be because it's inclusive of, <laughs> you know, brand and social media and, and all of this other stuff. So it's kind of like, where do you draw the line between marketing and content? And are those the same thing or are those different? I mean, I, I, I would personally take the view that they're, they're all a part of the same, um, you know, sort of end, end game here, which is just to promote the series and, and make it more visible. But the way in which, you think about that and the the different levers you can pull to do that are are ever more expansive now than they have been before i think it's important to point out with f1 that a lot of people look you know point to drive to survive but part of what enabled drive to survive to work was that prior to drive to survive that liberty took a pretty enormous step in the context of formula 1 if people remember what formula 1 was like under under bernie ecclestone that they made, they took this enormous step at the time, uh, which was counter to their bottom line at the time, to massively uh, increase accessibility just to photo and video, basically within the within the sport. And uh, one of the byproducts of doing that was that drivers and teams had it was just way easier for the other people who were the other stakeholders who were involved in the sport to post about it to be more active and engaging on social media. So they basically made that like kind of just open, like here, if you want to come here and you want to take pictures and you want to post those online, like, you know, we're not going to be super stressed about copyright infringement and, you know, all of this kind of stuff, um, particularly for the other stakeholders, the other partners of various types, whether that be manufacturers, the teams as constructors, the drivers, you know, media outlets that they knew well, you know, and they have relationships with, um, but inclusive of, of fans who were at the, at the, there was kind of this huge flip-flop where they almost like started incentivizing, you know, posting 
uh, imagery from from the events from uh, about Formula One online, as opposed to really heavily heavily trying to restrict that. And so, I think when you just think about and when I think about where IndyCar is at, they're not super restrictive in these in these senses like Formula One used to be or something. So it's not it's not like analogous in that sense. But I bring that I bring that point up just to say like you know there have been these these kind of cascading tiers of things that have allowed Formula One to have this sort of outcome that we see now, which is people, you know, getting massively engaged and involved. I mean, I think that the, I, I, my sense of Formula One is like, you know, the, okay, maybe, maybe the TV has gone up by double or something since, since all of this has happened over the last few years or, or something like that, but in the United States, but my sense of like the, just jet, the casual awareness of Formula One is like 10x higher than it was five or five or 10 years ago or something. So it's, it's really an enormous impact that depends on a bunch of different things to be happening. Um, which ultimately for IndyCar, we've kind of talked about this on the pod. Like, I mean, if we think about some of the things that they're doing right now, they are trying to streamline their efforts among all the promoters, right? So you're, everybody's promoting like a mutually agreed upon like product and, you know, aspects of that product and using similar materials and doing all that kind of stuff. So it's less regional in terms of what people are, how people are exposed to IndyCar and what that is. That's a big step that uh, the Penske Entertainment, you know, Corp is taking uh, that we talked about that a little bit last year. Um, are they, are they overdoing the 500? The answer to that absolutely is no, because they've got the 500 is a great example of something that's like going right. Like, so don't mess with that. You know, like keep doing that the same way that you're doing it. Um, you know, what's sort of in between here is, you know, having a long, hard look and really understanding, okay, we, we, we all talk about how good the racing is that all by itself is just not drawing in like boatloads of people. Right. And so, and so I guess my personal point of view on this is just assuming that great racing just as by itself, as it's, as one thing is enough and it's enough to get NASCAR fans to convert to IndyCar fans, Formula One fans to convert to IndyCar fans. It's, that's like really heavily reliant on people being real race fans kind of like we love we we recognize that as a thing that's different from formula one or different from other sports but is it is it is that enough i think a question that we're not asking is like is that enough for the casual person who's maybe not super interested in any of this stuff at like a deep level to like become a real indycar fan and watch five or ten races a year i i would kind of argue that like nothing currently supports that so, you know, the next level I think for IndyCar is to understand whether it's digging deeper into what it is that we are so passionate about, about the product itself and finding a, a layer that's deeper than just the fact that it's really competitive because there are plenty of things that go beyond just the fact that the races are good um, that make IndyCar different and interesting. Um, is it, you know, Marcus mentioned getting to know the drivers better kind of away from the track. That's a path, frankly, that we've gone down, you know, in different ways kind of frequently, but um, ultimately, 
you know, IndyCar is going to end up needing to spend more dollars and, you know, they're, and this is not to say that they don't, but they're going to definitely need to develop like a, a deeper and kind of further reaching, uh, you know, vision of what it is about IndyCar that people will connect to, um, at more, at a more human level, I think. Um, cause ultimately that's what's happened with, with drive to survive. You've got a technical angle. That's like, you can take a super deep dive on, you've got personal angle that you can take a super deep dive on. There's a international, like global travel, cultural angle that you can take a super deep dive on. Um, you know, what are those things that differentiate IndyCar? Um, you know, I think just takes a little bit more to, to get into. Yeah. It's, it's a difficult one. You mentioned money and people don't really talk about the investment that you know, F1 had to make with Drive to Survive and with the 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 increase in its marketing from Bernie Eccleston's time to Liberty is like night and day and the amount of yeah. you know infrastructure that they've had to put in place you know it's taken years for them to be in a position to capitalize on you know what they've invested and we we have to remember that even though Indy cars and F1 cars look vaguely similar. F1 is an international championship that has been, you know, basically a very similar format since the 1950s and has, you know, is an established world sport. Whereas in, when whenever you come back to this kind of thing, have to remember that IndyCar is a national championship, even though it is spread out across such a wide area, it is still fundamentally a national championship. And the big thing that the likes of NASCAR and F1 has done in, in recent times is invest and that's what IndyCar has to do. How it does that uh, is obviously a different question altogether. It is putting more money in than it has done before. Whether that's enough, you know, only time will, will tell us where we get to with that. But I guess we could do another three hours on this, JR. Should we just, <laughs> should we just carry on or so I think we're going to have to, I think we're going to have to call it a day. Let's call it's getting it. quite late here in the UK. <laughs> Thank you so much to everyone who sent in questions for our listeners' questions special. We really enjoyed that. It was great having Marcus to answer some as well. I'm glad we got a mixture of serious and some lighthearted kind of questions in there as well. It's always nice. Uh, we talked about learning a bit more about these drivers and I feel like every time we get Marcus on, we learn a little bit more about him as a person and uh, he's always very relaxed and unwound when he comes on this podcast and, and joins us, which we, you know, we enjoy a lot, but he's always got good serious answers to questions as well at the same time, which is... Uh, a really good balance so we have always have a lot of fun when Marcus comes on and joins us and like I said I'm sure he'll be doing that again next year if if we allow him back in I think we probably will he's 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 all right isn't he he's all right JR what have you got planned now I guess this is well I guess the IndyCar off-season in general if you're a full-time driver is uh, massive as it is but you've had a little bit longer plus I guess you're trying to sort out your plans for next year. So uh, I guess you just kind of uh, eye in the holidays as a nice kind of option to recharge now and get ready for 2023. Uh, you know, I guess so. You kind of always have to separate a bit of the the unknown of, um, you know, the, the business here with with um, being able to decompress a little bit over the over the holidays. I mean, I do kind of look forward to like, Christmas time because it is the one time of year that you know that just you're not on the hook for being be somebody getting a hold of you or whatever for the most part. Um, <laughs> but that uh, I mean, it is as a racing driver for sure. You know, you you do just sort of get used to being 
you know, in a way like on call 24 seven, like there's always something that you're trying to sort out unless probably unless you're, you're like Marcus, who's <laughs> got a multi-year deal and, and his own sponsors and, uh, you know, a good gig going, but, um, you know, not many of us, uh, there's, there's more of us that are envious of being in that position than there, than there are of us who are actually there. So yeah, for me, it's, you know, definitely been, been sort of all hands on deck recently, just kind of trying to understand the la- the landscape for Indianapolis next year. And, working backwards basically from from what that looks like i'm sort of fortunate i guess at least to be one of the available drivers that's you know looked at i guess as a as a veteran it sounds weird to call myself that at this point but um you know we've had a pretty good run of things over the last bunch of years and um have been trusted with a lot of different people's equipment to to go haul it up you know as as high as it can go so uh, i guess lucky still to be in the mix because of that and uh yeah, it's it's it creates for, you know, a, just an interesting outlook on like the next several years. Like, what's where? How does how does this kind of change? How does you know, as a driver, just giving you some insight into kind of like how I think about it. Like, how do the decisions that I, I'm starting to think in this point in my career? Like, how do the decisions I make now in terms of maybe alignments that I have or sponsors or whatever? Like, you know, how can I how can I think about those things in a little bit more of a long term fashion? how does that sort of inform maybe what my more immediate decisions are for next year versus trying to create a more sustainably, you know, competitive scenario down the road. But yeah, beyond that, just, um, trying to, trying to stay, stay, uh, kind of low and, and mellow. So Joseph Newgarden doesn't decide to go ham on my workouts in the off season and, uh, <laughs> You know, take it from there. Yeah, the 500 is interesting. We we know Ray Hall are going to run an extra car, or at least they they can run an extra car if they want to. So uh, I'm assuming that they'll uh, they'll they'll run that one. We don't really know what's going on with Dryan Reinbold, uh, Sage Karam supposedly not coming back to to that seat, and then we've got Takuma Sato potentially running a, an Indy 500 entry or an oval schedule i guess if you want to call it so we've got some interesting things going on around the silly season at the moment and we'll do our best to keep you updated with those speaking of news we should mention that earlier on we had uh, indy next mentioned so um this is the first pod since the indy lights championship has been been rebranded indy next so that is the new name it is spelled nxt if you're wondering how that looks on a piece of paper so that's interesting uh i guess a rebrand a refresh um, a bit of a fresh start for the championship coming back into or, or coming into Penske's hands um, and, and kind of moving away from Anderson promotions where it's been before. Um, and yeah, getting a bit of a, a change of, uh, I don't want to say change of scenery because it's not, it's not changing massively in terms of its format from, from last season. It's uh, it's a new, a rebranding we'll call it. That's the best way to put it. If you're listening to this podcast as it comes out or in the days following, you should also watch out this weekend for Pato Award, who's making his first FP1 appearance for McLaren. He's got a a difficult job to do, I'd say, having seen how well Alex Pelot did in his Cota FP1 against Lando Norris, being, I guess, just under three temps off Lando on a set on you know a comparable set of tires. So Pato does have Daniel Ricciardo to go up against. So based on Ricciardo versus Norris form recently, Pato does have the easier driver to go up against when it comes to comparing times. But that's not going to mean that the job is easy in general. So keep a close eye on that. You can also head to the-race.com where you can read about Pato and all other things, IndyCar, Formula One, MotoGP, Formula E, eSports, MotoGP, 
Formula One, Formula E, IndyCar, and all of those <laughs> great things. So make sure you head over there and check that out. If you want to get in touch with us, if you like this listener special, we'd love to do some more. Feel free to send in your questions, thoughts, statements of fact. And you can also send in your dream IndyCar teams from our last episode, uh, which we which we really enjoyed as well. Um, you can do that podcasts at the-race.com. So yeah, send us in your thoughts and uh, any any fantasy IndyCar teams that you have. I don't think, JR, did you get any uh, criticism after that episode? I didn't receive any. I was quite surprised about that, but we must have done a good job. No. None whatsoever. Yeah, we must have done a good job of that. Okay, I'm happy with that. I, th- I think I think people were endeared by Mike Shank and just Justin Marks being the team bosses. Like that was that was far out. <laughs> yeah. Like they were really enjoying that random. I felt pretty good about that pick after. Uh, oh yeah, I mean, the, like immediately after that, <laughs> they went on and Ross did his like crazy video game move. Yeah, got in the top, got in the got in the final four for the championship. That was my guy. If you've not seen Ross Chastain's move at Martinsville, then you just really need to go and watch it because I think it's the best thing that ever happened in motorsport history. Yeah, you're definitely living in a hole if you haven't seen it. <laughs> On that note, we'll call an end to this week's The Race IndyCar podcast and we'll be back soon with another episode. The Athletic. <laughs>